Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following broadcast is produced by Brookside Beating House Companies, LLC. Doing business as Forget-Me-Not Ancestry. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jane Wilcox, and this is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. Welcome to the show. This morning, our topic is a book. It is Genetic Genealogy in Practice, and I have the authors, uh, Blaine Bettinger and Debbie Parker-Wayne, joining me today. Uh, I met Debbie uh, about a year ago when I was taking the beginning genetic genealogy course at the uh, Genealogical Research Uh, Institute in Pittsburgh or GRIP. Uh, And I met Blaine. I was trying to remember where I met Blaine. I think when he became uh, one of the trustees of the New York Genealogical and Biographical Society, uh, which was maybe, I think, two years ago. Um, So I I knew Blaine from New York and then uh, Debbie I met last summer. And when I learned that they were writing this book on uh, genetic genealogy and practice, I invited them to come on to the show and uh, give us a preview uh, because the book is coming out soon. So uh, Debbie and Blaine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Um, So as I ask all of my guests, um, I'd like you to uh, 
just kind of set the stage, uh, tell us uh, who you are, so where you were born and raised, your education, and your career. So, Debbie, let's start with you. Um, I was born and spent my first 30 years in Dallas, Texas. Um, I, after that, I moved to the Phoenix, Arizona area and lived there for about 16 years. Um, my uh, job was always as a programmer or an instructor and sometimes as technical support uh, engineer for Motorola. And in 2000, I took an early retirement and I moved to East Texas very close to where my ancestors settled in the mid-1800s. All right. All right. And uh, Blaine, how about you? I am from and I currently live in upstate New York, north of Syracuse. And I am an intellectual property attorney. Um, So I work with patents, trademarks, copyrights. And in 2007, I started thegeneticgenealogist.com, a blog about the intersection of genealogy and DNA. Okay. All right. And then, Blaine, uh, we'll start with you for the next question. How did you get interested in genealogy? And then let's tag on how you got interested in genetic genealogy. Absolutely. So I was in middle school when one of my English teachers assigned a homework project to fill in a basic family tree. And so I went home, asked my parents, and they could fill out a little bit, but they recommended that I speak with my grandmother. So I spoke to her, and she rattled off a long list of names and dates and places just out of memory. And so I had that tree on that side completely filled out, and I, I, as I say, I've, I've been trying to finish that tree ever since. Um, and then that was probably around 20 to 25 years ago. And then in 2003, I was in grad school getting a Ph.D. in biochemistry, and I was focusing on genetics. And so I was studying genetics. I was a genealogist, and so it was just the, per- the DNA testing was just the perfect blend of, of everything I loved. So I ordered my first DNA test, and I've been ordering them uh, ever since. <laughs> and then you also got your, your uh, law degree, so you, you've, you've got a broad background there. Um, so, uh, Debbie, uh, and you as well, how did you get interested in genealogy and then uh, genetic genealogy? Well, uh, history was always one of my favorite subjects in school, but I guess I'm kind of a late bloomer. It never dawned on me when I was in school that I had ancestors who had actually participated in that history. Uh, and then as after I was an adult, I did realize that, and that's when I realized I had to learn more about these people. Uh, so I started researching my family, and like Blaine, I wound up talking to my grandmother and getting everything I could from her. And I had one other relative who had actually done a lot of research in the 1970s, and she shared her information with me, and I've built on it. Um, I also, you know, like had a 10th grade biology class where we studied DNA, and I found it just fascinating. And then when I heard in the early 2000s that they were now doing DNA tests for genealogy, I just started reading about it and researching that, and, you know, it was a topic that I just couldn't put down. (laughs) All right, and then you, and then I should add that you both are teaching uh, genetic genealogy. So, um, with Debbie coordinating the course at GRIP, Blaine was also uh, a teacher in in that course, and I know they they uh, have taught at 
uh, SLIG as well, and uh, I think IGHR. So you are heavily involved in teaching uh, genetic genealogy. Um, so, Debbie, let's focus on the book. So we've got uh, Genetic Genealogy in Practice. It is published by NGS, the National Genealogical Society. What was the inspiration to, to write the book? Well, I think the inspiration came from talking to our students in the courses. You really cannot fully understand genetic genealogy unless you practice the analysis techniques that we teach. And even in the week-long institute courses, there just is not enough time to cover all of the foundational information you need to know about genetics and the analysis concepts and still include as much hands-on time as you need to really uh, cement the concepts in your mind. So we decided to write the workbook so that we could uh, include a lot of exercises that would let you actually practice the concepts that we teach and that are covered in the book. Okay, and did NGS approach you, or did you uh, contact NGS? Um, well, um, Blaine and I talked about the idea for the book, and I had mentioned it to a friend who's on the NGS board, and they approached NGS about it, and then NGS came to us. Okay, so and then we were going to do the book, uh, but NGS was really interested in it and decided that they would like to publish it when they saw our proposal. Okay, and how long have you been working on the book? Um, about two years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. From the initial idea to now. Okay, all right. And then, Blaine, who is the audience for the book? Are, 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 you know, beginners, intermediate, advanced alike? Uh, what's the focus? Yes, I, I honestly, I don't think there is an audience that wouldn't benefit from the book in some way. It is particularly aimed at a beginner to intermediate audience because it provides a lot of um, introductory material about the different types of DNA testing and how to apply those and what can, they can use, be used for. But even if you have a very good understanding of those basic fundamentals of DNA, what you'll get from this book that you'll get nowhere else are exercises that allow you to either gauge your knowledge level or expand it if you are encountering new scenarios or new um, DNA testing types or new results that you haven't seen before. So I think the, the, the audience is just about every, every genetic genealogist. There really are an incredible array of exercises in the book that in the field of genetic genealogy, it's, there are no it, uh, current exercises that can really be found. It's, it's really hard to, to gauge what you know compared to, say, other people. And so without having tested lots of people, you often won't encounter scenarios where you can, can try out a lot of different uh, exercises or um, you won't run into a lot of different types of results. And so with this book, you'll have an opportunity to, to do that, to work with more than 75 different exercises that allow you to gauge your knowledge level and, and potentially expand that, that knowledge level. Okay. And are the exercises similar to what those of us who have taken uh, uh, a genetic genealogy course in one of the institutes, uh, similar to those? I, I think they are some of the some of them are along those lines, but we we really expanded the exercises and um because you as you know in a in a week long course it's hard to 
devote all day to instruction and then have exercises in the evenings as well and, and be able to go in-depth in those. And so the, some of those type of exercises are included in the book, but there are, are a lot more exercises as well. Okay. And as we're uh, talking about what's in the book, Blaine, what else have, have you included in the book? So there are a very wide range of topics in the book. There's autosomal DNA, Y-DNA, X-DNA, mitochondrial DNA. All the basic DNA types are covered. Um, We also cover the use of multiple different types of DNA testing to answer genealogical questions. Sometimes a Y-DNA test alone is not enough. Sometimes you'll also need to combine autosomal DNA and combine autosoma with mitochondrial DNA or add in X-DNA. And so in the book, we, we cover and have exercises about using multiple types of DNA uh, to answer a question. And then also we talk about how the genealogical proof standard and genetic genealogy standards apply, as well as developing and uh, a written conclusion based on DNA findings. So there are a wide range of topics starting from the beginner stage of what is xDNA to how do I use that in a, in a proof argument, for example. Okay. And Debbie, do you have anything to add? Um, no, I, just one thing. I would like uh, people to know that we worked very hard to try to explain all of the basics in a way that genealogists can understand. You know, there's some of the biology that is very important that you understand to be able to use DNA for genealogy, but we're not trying to turn you into a biologist. We want you to understand just enough of the biology that you can apply it to genetic genealogy. Okay. And then this is a loaded question, Debbie. Is there anything that you left out? And as I said, this is so broad, but let's let's maybe zero it in on um, maybe for a beginner or what you teach in uh, the Institute. Is there anything that you left out? Well, the, the main thing that we did leave out are step-by-step instructions on using specific tools. In the, for the most part, those are not included. And the reason we did that is we wanted the book to be as timeless as possible. We tried to cover all of the information you need to understand how to use DNA to answer a genealogical question, no matter which tool you use to do the analysis. Because, you know, there are new tools being added all the time, and the user interface to the existing tools are changing at an astonishing rate. Uh, so we didn't want the book to become outdated as those things changed. So those things you can find easily on blog posts and uh, forums at the testing companies and that sort of thing. So you can take the in, the information in our book and apply it no matter which tool you decide to use. Okay. And then, Debbie, have you included everything uh, that you teach in the beginning uh, genetic genealogy course? Well, we've included all of the basic information, but it's not the book is not identical to the courses. Of course, the exercises are different, uh, and the case studies uh, are different than what we use in the institute courses. 
Um, there's some material in the book that is not covered in as much depth as the courses, and there's other material in the book that's covered more in depth in the book than it is in the courses. It just, you know, some information lends itself better to being uh, written in a book, and some lends itself more to being taught in person. But all of the basics that you need to get started and to advance your knowledge in using genetic genealogy is covered in the book. Okay. And Blaine, do you have anything to add? No, I absolutely correct. I agree completely. Okay. All right. Then I, this, I think, is a, an important question uh, for uh, those of us who are professionals in particular who are uh, working with clients and uh, trying to solve uh, genealogy problems. Um, it also applies to other people who are, are doing their personal family history as well and, and applying it to their different research problems. So at this point with genetic genealogy, should DNA testing be applied with the GPS in all of our research across the board, wherever it can be applied? Um, and in that uh, response, uh, please explain what the GPS is. So, Blaine, let's start with you. Okay. So, the GPS, which stands for Genealogical Proof Standard, is a set of criteria that's used to evaluate the completeness of our own research and the credibility of our, our conclusions. And it also allows us to evaluate other people's conclusions. And so, these, the criteria of the GPS include uh, very thorough and um, exhaustive research, um, citing your sources when you are doing that research, um, and analyzing and correlating the evidence that you find as a result of that research, resolving any conflicts you find in that research. We all know that there are going to be a lot of conflicts often in the evidence you find. And then creating a written or logical written conclusion. And there's a lot more information about this uh, on the uh, website for the board for certification of genealogists. And um, the genealogical proof standard, the first step requires the exhaustive or thorough research. And now that DNA testing and is becoming so prevalent and that genealogists are becoming so good at interpreting and applying that to different genealogical questions, I think the question then becomes, as you asked, should DNA testing be a component of that thorough research? Now, of course, there are at this point thousands and thousands of genetic genealogists who would, without hesitation, say yes, and I'm certainly one of those. If there is a, an opportunity for DNA to contribute to your question, then I think you need to consider that. DNA is just another evidence type, just like a census record or a vital record, and so we need to consider that DNA evidence whenever it's available to us. Okay, and, and Debbie? Yeah, I think DNA is definitely a part of a reasonably exhaustive research in most situations if it can be applied to help you answer the question that you're asking. You know, there are some questions that DNA won't help you with at all. But if DNA can help, I think it should be applied. Otherwise, your research is not thorough. Um, 
And also there are some situations where documentary evidence does not exist. And in those situations, DNA may help you uh, achieve a more credible, stronger conclusion than without DNA. But, you know, it's just like any other record type we use, just like probate, deeds, census records, and all of those other things. We have to mine all of that evidence and use it wherever it's applicable. Okay. And and this is a question that that neither of you may know the answer to. But in terms of uh, for those of us who may be working on our portfolio for certification, is the uh, BCG, the Board for Certification of Genealogists, taking DNA evidence now into uh, you know, being a factor when we submit our uh, portfolios? Well, I, I know that a lot of us have submitted work samples in our por- portfolios that include DNA. Um, what I don't know is if anybody's uh, portfolio has been uh, disapproved because it didn't include DNA. But I think uh, BCG, you know, there are a lot of very well-known uh, credentialed genealogists who are now giving uh, lectures showing how they've used DNA. And I would expect that at some point, you know, BCG will have the same uh, opinion that many of us have now is that there are certain situations where, you know, if you have not done a DNA test, you really have not done thorough research. And I think that will depend on the individual situation. Okay. All right. And Blaine, anything to add? No, I agree completely. And I'll say that I, I know there are many excellent genetic genealogists uh, who are certified genealogists. So I I second Debbie's point completely. So it, it sounds like what you are suggesting is that no matter if, if we're a professional or uh, researching our own family history as an amateur, we need to know genetic genealogy. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking two biased people. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> well, you know, look at it this way. Would you ignore probate records? When they're available, no, you wouldn't. You would not ignore any type of record that might provide evidence to help you answer your genealogical question. And, you know, DNA is one of those records we have available today. It has matured to the point where it can help answer many questions. Okay. And I I will add, obviously, I... I'm interested in genetic genealogy, having taken the the uh, course at GRIP, and I'm finding that I am applying it wherever I can in my client research uh, because it is such a useful tool. In addition to, as Debbie was saying, the probate records and and everything else. Um, so, I'm 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 there with you too. So we are going to take a break right now. This is the Forget Me Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told, and we will be right back.
Welcome back. This is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. As you're listening on Blog Talk Radio, you will see a bunch of buttons on your uh, computer screen. Uh, One is the follow button. If you press that, you will receive an email letting you know that the show is going on the air, what the topic is, and who the guest is. You'll also see a bunch of uh, social media buttons. Uh, Please share the Forget-Me-Not Hour with your friends and family. Um, also, uh, for the uh, blog talk page, you will see uh, the Forget Me Not Hour archives. Uh, we have over five years of shows, and many of them are timeless. Uh, please take advantage of the archives. And you can also uh, get the Forget Me Not Hour on the go. Um, you can catch it on iTunes under Jane E. Wilcox and uh, listen wherever you are uh, taking your phone. Um, so today we are talking about the book, uh, Genetic Genealogy and Practice, and my guests are Blaine Bettinger and Debbie Parker-Wayne. Um, so uh, Blaine and Debbie, we've been talking about uh, using genetic genealogy uh, in our research, uh, applying the GPS, and we're qualifying that in, in saying that uh, we maybe should consider applying it in every situation where it can be applied. So there are some situations where it's not going to be useful. Have you discussed that in the book, in, in each of the, the sections on the different uh, types of DNA testing, uh, Debbie? Um, <clears throat> what we primarily talk about in the book are ways that you can use DNA. But we do have several questions in the exercises where we say, here's the situation. You know, would DNA apply to this or not, and if so, how? Okay. And then have you given us most of the information that we need or all of the information that we need to hit the ground running to apply DNA testing in our research, Blaine? I think that if you study the book and you do well with the exercises and you understand the material, I think you're ready to hit the ground running. Now, that isn't to say, of course, that you, uh, once you finish the book or have gone through all the exercises, understand everything, that, that, that you now have learned everything in the world of genetic genealogy. Um, Certainly, even the people who have been doing genetic genealogy for a decade or more are still learning things on a daily basis. So you will not learn absolutely everything you ever need to know about DNA, but once you go through the book, you'll absolutely be ready to analyze your own results, start to apply those towards genealogical questions, know who to test and what to test, and so you'll be able to, to really hit the ground running once you, once you work your way through the book. Okay, and Debbie, is there anything you'd like to add? Well, I agree completely with what Blaine said. Um, I, I would like to add, you know, this is a complex topic. It's not impossible to learn, but some areas of it can be very complex for many of us. So nobody should feel bad if you read a chapter the first time and you don't get everything in the chapter. That's the the. Uh, upside of having the book, something you can go back and read again. You can keep reading it until you get it. Okay. And and then should we then also be taking courses and, and uh, classes, Debbie? Um, I think that there still will be things you can learn in the courses even after going through the book. Um, like I said, the, the, the book will give you everything you need to get started but 
we can't present every single situation you might ever run into in, you know, a couple hundred pages in the book. And also you may need uh, extra help in how to actually use the tools in depth. That sort of thing you could get in the Institute courses, and it will expand on what's covered in the book. Okay. And then in a few places, you give a couple of different opinions. You say some genetic genealogists think this, others think that. So how do you address various differing opinions uh, on a particular subject, Blaine? I think when we believe that there was an area that was not completely settled or where there were differing opinions on interpretation or analysis, then we tried to present it in a way that made it clear that there may be changes or updates or this isn't a completely settled area. So genetic genealogy is still a, a pioneer um, science. It's, it's still developing. When we get back the results of a genetic genealogy test, it, it doesn't give us everything we, we need. We, we are still interpreting those results. And that interpretation is something we're still learning to do. Um, and so there are, for example, a lot of statistical probabilities involved. And so statistics are not perfect. They're, they're probabilities. And thus, we don't provide them, we don't explain them or uh, present them as being absolutes. And for most of us, we're looking at our own experience. We look at our own results. We look at the results of our family members, and we interpret DNA that way. So in a way, we're, we're all still learning how to apply DNA and, and the ways it can be used. And so when we present that in the book, we try to do it in a way that makes it clear that this is one of those areas. This is an area where there might be changes or where no one is 100% sure that this is the absolute answer. But we provide you with enough information that you can evaluate it for yourself. And when new information comes along, you can apply that to the understanding you currently have. Okay. So then you do in include how to interpret data in the book, Blaine. Well, we present the uh we we talk about the the fundamentals of dna testing and then we ex we expand into how to apply those results to your research and applying those results to your research are all analysis of the data and interpretation of the data so absolutely we go into that uh quite a bit in the book okay and if we uh would like you know suppose we find a situation that uh is a little more complex and and needs a uh, you know deeper interpretation uh where would we go well there are more and more ways to get that type of information first of all if you have uh, have worked through the book and you want to get a more in-depth understanding i as debbie said earlier i think institutes are a good way to to go more in depth in certain topics to interact with other people to get more instruction and in addition to that, there are some great DNA interest groups in local, uh, local societies, and there are uh, social media groups like the ISOG Facebook group and other groups like that. There's mailing lists. And the book has, at the end, a great list of resources for getting more information um, 
from all types of different books, mailing lists, institutes, all sorts of opportunities. Okay, and would you tell us what ISOG is for those who don't know? Yes, ISOG is the International Society of Genetic Genealogy, and it's at ISOG, I-S-O-G-G dot org. Okay. All right, so it, it sounds like the book is a wonderful foundation uh, for learning about DNA testing and then applying. So, Debbie, how can we best apply what you present in the book? Well, I think uh, for most people it's going to be best just to start at the beginning and read through each chapter in order. Um, even if you think you understand a lot about a particular subject, if you don't look at that chapter, you may not get all the material that you need to apply to the exercises in the later chapters. So if you go through each chapter and then go through the exercises at the end of that chapter, Based on how well you do on the exercises, that will tell you if you really understood that chapter and are ready to move forward. Um, and as I said before, you know, for some of us, we may want to go back and read the chapter again, or maybe even you know pick the book up a few months from now and read it again to see if you get more out of it. I tend to read a lot of things where if I go back and read it again months or a year later, I see something that I didn't see the first time, and I think a lot of people are that way. And I think on our research as well, I'm smiling as you're saying that because I know I, I go back to a record and I see something that I didn't see the first time around. And see, that's another good point, you know, where DNA is just another record, you know. You go back and you see things that you didn't see the first time. Okay. And Blaine, uh, Debbie mentioned uh, that you have tried to write the book uh, to be timeless. Is there anything in the book that will be out of date that you, you needed to include, but, but uh, maybe will be out of date at some point? Well, I, I think it's impossible to say that nothing will in the book will ever go out of date. Certainly at some point, some aspects are going to be out of date if there are um, vast changes. However, at the current time, and this was an intentional decision we made, we wrote the book such that it would be as applicable and in um, and current as possible for as long as possible. And so at some point, some aspects might be changed or updated, but at the current time, um, we, we've, we've kept track of the field. We, we stay on top of the field and at the current time, it's still up to date, and we expect it to remain that way. Okay. All right. And then how did you go about collaborating on the book, you know, the two authors? Uh, Debbie, let's start with you. Um, well, we each uh, wrote an outline individually and then shared them with each other and realized that we basically both came up with the same outline for the <laughs> most part. Uh, and then we just uh, – divided up the chapters where each of us was the primary author on some of the chapters. And then we passed the chapters back and forth several times, incorporating changes suggested by the other person until we were both satisfied with the material. Uh, we also incorporated some uh, changes that we got feedback from the uh, National Genealogical Society Genetic Genealogy Committee, committee uh, and we had a, a book editor so we tried to incorporate their changes that made sense while staying true to 
our idea of what was important. Okay. And Blaine, do you have anything to add? No, no. We, I think um, it, it was it was really quite remarkable how we had very similar visions and um, executions for for this book. So I think that that made the process incredibly uh, smooth. And I think the book at the end is is very close to the book we would have each written individually. And so it's I think it works out really well. Okay, and how long have the two of you been teaching together? That that may be a factor, too. Um, we started in, what, 2014, the summer of 2014? Yes. Okay. All right, so only two years ago. So do you have a favorite chapter in the book, uh, Debbie? Um, I think my favorite chapter is the one about incorporating DNA testing in a family study. That's where we talk about how to use multiple types of DNA, Um because there like Blaine said earlier, you know, in my family in particular, the Y DNA testing showed a lot more marker differences than you would typically expect based on the statistical predictions. But then I was able to use autosomal DNA to add to it to show that between the documentary research, the Y-DNA, and the autosomal DNA, you could put it all together to reach a strong conclusion. Okay. And Blaine, how about you? I would probably say that the autosomal DNA chapter is, is probably my favorite or one of my favorites. I'm I'm just a, a huge fan of autosomal DNA, as complex and frustrating as it is. Um, I I just enjoy that complexity and the 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 challenges, and so um, I think that's probably right up there with one of my favorite chapters. Okay. All right. On uh, that note, we are going to take a break. This is the Forget Me Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told, and we will be right back.
Welcome back. We are going to be back on uh, Block Talk Radio on September 7th. That's the first Wednesday of the month. Uh, at a different time, it will be 3 o'clock Eastern time in the afternoon, and my guest will be Josh Taylor, uh, who is the president of the New York Genealogical and Biographical Society and host of the Genealogy uh, Roadshow on PBS. So we're going to be talking about the New York Genealogical and Biographical Society as uh, Josh has taken over the helm uh, in February, and then also his uh, experience on the Genealogy Roadshow. Um, so again, that is uh, at a different time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon on uh, September 7th. And then for the third Wednesday of the month, uh, that's September 21st, uh, at 10 o'clock Eastern, as usual, uh, the topic is going to be the Allen County Public Library, and my guest will be uh, Kurt Witcher. Uh, we're going to be broadcasting live from Fort Wayne, Indiana on that day. I'm going to be attending the Association of Professional Genealogists Professional Management Conference, uh, which is going to be at the Allen County Public Library that weekend. Uh, so we'll be broadcasting at, with uh, Kurt Witcher on September 21st. If you have any questions for upcoming guests, uh, please uh, contact me. You can find me at janeewilcox.com. Also, if you have feedback for the show or uh, ideas about topics, I would welcome your uh, feedback and ideas. And uh, for anybody who's in Western New York, uh, coming up next week on Friday, August 26th, I'm going to be speaking at the Women's Rights National Historical Park in Seneca Falls for Women's Equality Day, and I will be uh, giving my talk, Finding American Women's Voices Through the Centuries. Uh, so please come on out. I do not know what time yet, um, but it will be on August 26th. And then for anybody uh, interested in New York research, um, Blaine and I will uh, both be at the New York State Family History Conference, which is uh, held just outside of Syracuse in September and there is uh, still registration available. So uh, please come on out. Um, Blaine, uh, Blaine, how many uh, talks will you be giving? Uh, three talks. Okay. And all DNA? Yes. Um, all DNA. One, has, um, one is called um, genealogy as a science. And so that has a little bit more of a general ap applicability rather than just focus on DNA. But there will be a lot of DNA in that talk as well. Okay, and then I will be giving my vital records, New York vital records talk, and then uh, Palatine tenant farmers in the Hudson Valley. Uh, so come on out, and it's a joint conference with the New York public historians. Uh, so there will, will be lots of history and genealogy going on that that uh, three days out in Syracuse. So uh, come and join us. Um, today we are talking about uh, genetic genealogy in practice. Um, and this is a fun question uh, for, we'll start start with Debbie. I, as I was reading through the exercises, actually I was skimming through, I noticed that you have a Wilcox example from Tennessee, and then you have some Rowan, I may not pronouncing that correctly, Rowan County, North Carolina examples. And I'm interested in these because uh, the Wilcox and Boone families were in North Carolina, in Rowan County, and then went on to Kentucky and Tennessee. So these are my very distant cousins. How, how did you develop the questions, the exercises? Well, the exercises are based on real-life situations that we've seen in our family and client projects. Um, 
but I know all the ones that I worked on, although I might have used some real names of ancestors and real locations where I had ancestors living and had done research, the families, as they're structured in the examples, are not my real-life families. Um, they are fictionalized versions. Uh, and part of that was because, you know, we didn't have room in the book to actually present the documentary uh, research. So you have to go elsewhere to get that information. We focused on how to apply DNA to your research, and I didn't think it was fair to use all of the real-life examples of the families without being able to show the documentary research for how they were structured. So. You know, we chose to kind of fictionalize it, even though we did use real-life situations and some of the numbers for where people have matches on which chromosomes and all are taken from real examples in our families. Okay. All right. And Blaine, uh, you recently have another book uh, that came out. How how do these books differ, uh, the uh, genetic genealogy in practice and the the one that came out a few weeks ago? Yes. Well, the the other book isn't uh, quite available yet. It's the uh, Family Tree Guide to Genetic Genealogy, and it has more of a uh, much more of a beginner focus. It is for someone who has not had any experience with DNA, and it is much more of a, um, a beginner guide than the current book. It has no exercise in, in it. It's more introducing what DNA is and um, what the different types of DNA testing are. So it's, it has a very, very different focus than the NGS book. Um, so they, they, are, they have a, a very, different, uh, very different applications. Okay, and then there there are a few other books out there. I know uh, Emily Olesino, I interviewed her with her book a, a couple of years ago. How how are the books differing? Well, certainly the NGS book that Debbie and I worked on has the exercises. And I think, as you know, the field of genetic genealogy is progressing so rapidly that there's always something new. There's always new aspects to write about. And so the the NGS book is, I think, the most, um, uh, and the, the Family Tree uh, Guide are the most up-to-date books just because of how rapidly the field progresses. Okay. All right. And then how can we order the book, Debbie? Um, well, NGS should have an order page up soon on their website, um, we expect the book to be available no later than September. Um, I, I don't know. I don't have an exact date yet, but it should be out soon. And initially, I think it will be available through their website, uh, and I and then sometime after that, you know, other uh, book pub, uh, booksellers will have it available. Blaine and I will both be, I'm sure, blogging and posting <laughs> on social media as soon as it's, you can order it and letting you know how to do that. Okay, and uh, Debbie uh, gave me three links uh, for more information about the book, which uh, both of, or all three of those are posted on the blog talk page. And, and one is a direct link to the NGS page. So uh, I think following that as well. So uh, where are you both Speaking, uh, coming up, uh, we're, we're done with the Institute season, so uh, what, what's coming up next? 
Uh, Blaine, let's start with you. Well, I am uh, headed actually this weekend to the Northwest Genealogy Conference in Washington State, which I'm uh, really looking forward to. There is the New York State Family History Conference in September. The, uh, I will also hopefully run into you at the uh, AM, a APG PMC in a few weeks. Um, and so I uh, have a, a few speaking engagements this fall that, that I'm really looking forward to. Okay. And uh, Debbie? Um, I actually have a very easy end of the year this year. Uh, I had some uh, family situations where I did not uh, uh, propose anything to do at the Federation of Genealogical Societies conference this year, and I'm not going to be attending the PMC. So the only things I have going for the rest of this year are several local societies here in Texas that I'll be speaking at, and then we have our Texas State Genealogical Society Conference at the end of October, and I'll be speaking there. Okay. All right. So before I uh, wrap up and ask the last uh, few questions, is there anything that either of you would like to add about the NGS book, Genetic Genealogy in Practice? Um, Debbie, let's start with you. Um. I would like to add, I also think that ours is the first book not only that has the exercises in it uh, so you can practice what you're learning, but I think it's also one of the first books that actually focuses on standards uh, as, and how you apply DNA to those and things like tips on what kind of things you might or might not want to include in your written conclusion when you add DNA to it. And we have uh, citations for several good articles that have been published, like in the NGS Quarterly, where people have incorporated DNA. And you can use those as examples for structuring your own written conclusions. Okay. And Blaine? Yes, I, I, I second that. Well, I think what would be great is if we see a lot of new DNA uh, proof arguments or conclusions or articles by people who are encouraged and um, receive some some instruction from the book. I think that would be that would be a great outcome. Okay, all right. And then, as I um, ask all of my guests at the end of the show, what is your own ancestry, uh, Blaine? Let's start with you. So I, um, my ancestors on my father's side have been in the country for quite a while, a lot of uh, colonial ancestry. There is some recent an uh, Irish ancestry as well. On my mother's side, uh, there is a, a lot of French Canadian and also a lot of um, Honduran. So my grandmother's mother was, uh, her family was from the Honduras. And so as a result of that, I also have, as I discovered through DNA testing, um, Native American mitochondrial DNA, which which was a surprise. So it's a pretty diverse background. And when you found out about the Native American mitochondrial, you, you blogged about it. Will you tell us a, a little bit more about how unusual uh, that was? Yeah, so th they were a family of English missionaries, and I so I expected, of course, there to be a uh, English or European mitochondrial DNA, probably haplogroup H if I had to predict. And so when it came back 
haplogroup A2, which is a Native American haplogroup, it was it was quite a surprise, and it has helped direct my research, which is nice. I might have been led down other paths if I didn't know that I should be looking for Native American ancestry at this point. So, And what's interesting is I, I also see it reflected in my autosomal DNA with Native American and, and African autosomal DNA um, segments. So it's been really, it's been an interesting journey. All right. And is there any ancestor who's called out to you in your research? Yes. My, uh, my great-grandmother was adopted, and solving that which I have not done yet, but I'm I'm down, I'm well down the path to solving uh, who her biological parents were. That's really the mystery that that has driven me uh, quite a bit in my in my research. And using uh, DNA testing to help solve. That's right. Yes. All the all the <laughs> I think DNA testing is going to be the only way. There is there are no records that I'm aware of, so it's going to be DNA or bust. <laughs> okay. All right, Debbie, and your ancestry. Well, all of my lines that I've traced so far were in the southern states by the mid-1700s. Now, I do have a couple of lines where I don't go back more than five or six generations, so I may discover some surprises as I work on those more. But uh, mostly it's uh, European ancestry, Irish, Scots-Irish, English, German. I have to go back more than seven generations to find an ancestor who wasn't born in one of the southern states in the U.S. <laughs> uh, the first time I saw a census record where someone said his father had been born in New York, I thought, oh, this must be an error. That probably means North Carolina. But uh, it turns out his father actually was born in New York and then moved to the south. <laughs> Interesting. And is there an ancestor who has called out uh, to you? Um, Well, as I started researching, of course, most of my ancestors were farmers, and then there were a lot of Baptist and Methodist ministers. And while I appreciate all of those ancestors, I have to say that I got so excited when I found my first scoundrel. (laughs) Um, And one of my ancestors turned out to be a bigamist. And I really enjoyed researching him. And it took me into some historical areas that I hadn't explored before about, uh, you know, how our ancestors actually handled things in a time where divorce was not common and, you know, you could just pick up and move to another area where nobody knew anything about you. Uh, and then, of course, being a woman, the other thing that I have a strong pull from are all the women in my ancestry, uh, because many of them were widowed young and raised families alone. And I just love seeing how they handled things uh, with such strong character. And uh, I wouldn't be here today without them. Sure. Uh, where and when was the bigamist? So we can place him in his uh, time. He was in uh, central Texas, one of the little counties that's down close to Austin. Uh, he came to Texas to fight in the Mexican War in 1846, married around 1850, and then left his wife in 1876 to move to another Texas county and marry again and have a second family there. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Lane and Debbie, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the Forget-Me-Not Hour. It's uh, been wonderful for you to uh, tell us about the book, and, and I know so many people are are just waiting for the book to come out. 
So thanks so for joining are us. We. <laughs> thank you yes, for inviting you. us, Jane. All right. Uh, this is the Forget Me Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. Have a good day. Thanks. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.